We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOHOOPS when you deposit for a free contest entry today. It is Tuesday, November 24th, 2015. DJ Trainer here alongside Nick Whalen. Whalen, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle, DJ, is, and we've been over this many times, and I feel like you're saying this just to make me say it. Uh, it's my last name, at Whalen, W-H-A, but... But instead of the L, it's the number one. So uh, not something that really flows out of the mouth easily. It's something that I've had to repeat on podcasts and radio so many times and gotten fun- made fun of so many times for it. But I'm not changing it. I'm, sta- I'm standing pat here. 
I um, you, you're not a guy that gets flustered under many circumstances at all. At least when I've been around you, which is not a ton. But oh, I get, get flustered. Trust yeah, me. <laughs> I love just like watching your face when I say say your Twitter handle. You're just like, oh, here we go. Please no. Anyways, you can find me at Trainer DJ today on SiriusXM. Derek Van Riper said. Train or DJ. That's a way to think of my pod or my Twitter name. Anyway, Trainer DJ. It's my name backwards. Of course, this podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. Feel free to leave a nice review or else. You can also listen or download on the RotoWire website itself. Healthy night of basketball last night, Mr. Nick Whalen. What were your overall impressions? Just give us where are we at at this point of the season in terms of Monday's slate of games? Yeah, I mean, we can kind of go and look at these one by one, but just some overall general thoughts. Um, the Thunder look good with Kevin Durant back. I feel like there's a strong evidence to suggest that they're a better team when he's playing. Um, you know, San Antonio keeps rolling. The 76ers were about a minute and a half away, uh, and a few Andrew Wiggins plays down the stretch away from getting their first win. Miami continues to roll. They're silent or quietly, I should say, looking like a very good team out east. The Kings were very, very Kings-like in that overtime period that lost to the Hornets last night. Bucks got back on track, and the Cavs kept rolling too. So, you know, a, a night with some exciting games, really no, like, marquee, marquee matchups that we were really keeping an eye on, but still an exciting night. And it was the main storyline for me is it's just good to have KD back. It is. It is fantastic. As a Thunder fan, of course, it's great to have him back. So, of course, we are going to go over each game last night. You can follow along with us. We're going to go in chronological order. And after that, we're going to have a debate, not a debate, just a discussion on... It's going to be a debate. It's going to be a debate on Rookie of the Year, where do we stand like that? Charles Barkley came out this morning and said that Kristaps Porzingis is his clear Rookie of the Year candidate. Rashad Nick, Vaughn. Yeah, we, ha- we might have some bones to pick with that. Also have some questions from Twitter that you guys have hit, been hitting me up with. Nick will tackle those together at the very end of the podcast. But as for now, Nick, the dust has settled on the Houston Rockets situation. Of course, Kevin McHale was fired last week. We've heard the best minds in basketball talk about it, debate about it. We're really good at listening to the best minds in basketball. So what are we left with? What do you think we're left with now? Well, we talked about this a little bit last week, and we've, we kind of got to see the Rockets in action for a couple games now since the firing and the loss to the Knicks <laughs> over the weekend, certainly not uh, with the direction they were looking to go after that big come-from-behind win uh, uh, the previous night. Uh, excuse me, not the previous night. They lost to the Grizzlies on Friday. They lost to the Knicks uh, on Saturday. They did come from behind to beat Portland earlier in the week. That was you know a week ago from Man. now, almost now, last Wednesday. Uh, James Harden, a big performance in that one. But two straight losses over the weekend. This Rockets team is in trouble right now. And the the effort thing, you know, that was kind of the team president, uh, GM Gerald Morey. That's kind of something they highlighted. We don't have time to wait around. This team isn't responding to Kevin McHale. And, you know, losing to the Knicks, I think that's the big one. You can, you can accept a, a loss to a Memphis team that's certainly playing better than they were for the first week or so of the season. Uh, they look to be rounding into form a bit more, but you can't lose at home to New York. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm more worried about this Rockets team than I was even you know, when they f- first fired Kevin McHale. Now, Nick, a lot of people out there thought that James Harden should have been the MVP last year, not even because best production, but more because of the rest of his team and what he had to deal with to get them to um, such a high point in the Western Conference. They were the two seed last year, right? Yeah, the two seed made it to the Western Conference Finals, of course, in dramatic fashion. 
And this year we're seeing maybe he came into camp um, not in shape, and so he hasn't been able to take the load on his back like he did last year. So maybe can we say that James Harden coming in not as good as he was last year is a major reason why these Houston Rockets aren't performing up to expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, your your guy who's you know, in probably most seasons is your runaway MVP candidate if Steph Curry doesn't uh, do what he did last season. Hey, the guy's shooting under under 40% on the season. He's horrendous from three-point range. That's really been the thing. For a guy that relies on, on those pull-up threes and, you know, a guy who – I shouldn't say waste a lot of possessions. And the way he's shooting right now, he's wasting a lot of possessions. But he's an efficient player, uh, you know, when he's at his best. So there certainly aren't wasted possessions most of the time. But when you're going one for seven, one for six, one for five, three for ten, two for 11 from three, and you're, just, you're absolutely killing – uh, you know your offense with that kind of volume. So Harden's certainly a big reason for it. He's also you know the reason that they've won five games this season, almost single handedly. You know, twenty free throw attempts against Portland in that game I referenced last week. Uh, but they, they have a lot of problems. Dwight Howard isn't healthy, and and when he is healthy, he's not as involved as he should be. The rest of those guys, you know, Ty Lawson, Corey Brewer, they're not shooting at the clip that they are expected to be at. Trevor Ariza, you could say the same thing about. So it's definitely not just Harden. I don't know about the the being in shape or not in shape thing. I, I you know I've, there's been rumors. He's always kind of been a a guy who's a little bit doughy looking for his athletic and you know as as mobile as he is. Wide beard. He has a wide beard. Right. He does. He's got the beard and like you know he's not super cut. You know like a guy like LeBron by any means. But he's he doesn't look any any different to me than he did last season. So you know I, I think what this all comes down to is you know the Kardashian thing is hanging over him and you, know, you got to look to that first. That shoe, that shoe fiasco, <laughs> another thing. Yes. Um, yeah, we'll see if he gets it going. Obviously, they're in a dire situation, and that's why Mikhail was fired. Not a lot of people liked it, didn't respond to it well. Ty Lawson moves to the bench, and he's going to be non-existent. It looks like he went one for eight from the field when he played uh, for the first time when they played the Trailblazers. And so you have to assume that Patrick Beverly will start, which I think is a good move just to get that bench going when Harden is off the court. We'll, let, we'll leave that be for now. Everyone has put in their two cents, and there's ours as well. Perhaps the most important thing we're going to talk about today, Nick, the Clippers Dance God will be getting their own reality TV series on E! Entertainment oh, early God. next year. Will we watch it? Of course we're going to watch it. have been answered. Yeah, the thing is, will we watch it multiple times? Yeah, I mean, I don't, is there any other way to... To watch a show like this, I first of all, I'm surprised. Like, did the Lakers dancers not already have their own show? Right. This is this is odd. That would be like the, the Philadelphia Eagles dancers just getting a or cheerleaders getting a show over the Cowboys cheerleaders, right? I mean, that's what a slight this is to the to the Lakers cheerleaders, and maybe this is the biggest uh, you know symbolism of how far yes. the Lakers have fallen. Yes, sir. That's what I was gonna say. I think officially, as of this news, we can say that the Clippers are a well, more well-rounded franchise on the court, off the court than the Lakers are. This is the tipping point, right, ladies and gentlemen? You know, the Dallas Cowboys already have a series, a long-running series that's pretty popular. I've never actually watched it, but there's something about basketball sure, yeah, dancers that make you know gets me going. Yeah, I think you know they certainly don't have the profile that the Cowboys cheerleaders do, but this should go a long way in helping that. And you know, I don't generally watch a ton of E shows, um, but now I guess I'm going to have to be starting. I and mean, this is definitely going to be the one. Um, over under times they show Steve Ballmer dancing on each episode. Four and a half. Four and uh, a half. I'm going to be taking the over most episodes. I think. 
Yeah, he's going to be posted up at all the tryouts. He's going to, you know, they're going to go into like intense right before break stares of him trying to decide between Chloe or Ashley. And, mm-hmm. you know, there will be tears, people, and they'll all be from Balmer. Right. I, I hope the players get involved with this. That would be great. I, I could see Austin Rivers maybe, you know, inserting his name into the fold here. Seems like something Lance Stevenson is, you know, right up his alley. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully they in, they're able to integrate the Clippers and make this a little bit more of a watchable show for basketball fans. I just hope, and this is the last thing we can say about it, that Doc Rivers will complain about you know who's chosen as much as he does for fouls on any given night. Like I hope we yeah, see him I mean, in the well, background it's, it's just, just complaining. Chosen, whoever wins, you know, it's just luck more than anything. Right, it's luck. All right, people, we're going to switch it back over to real basketball. And if you're looking to play on uh, DFS competitions, do that on DraftKings. Of course, you can be a part of the action all season long at DraftKings.com, the official daily fantasy basketball partner of RotoWire. Feel free to go over to DraftKings.com now and enter promo code RotoWire or RotoHoops to play free. That's DraftKings.com, the official partner of RotoWire. So, looking at the first game of last night, a high scoring one, Nick. Sacramento Kings lose to the Charlotte Hornets 127 to 122. Rajon Rondo still doing his thing out there. Um, he's been lowly priced on DraftKings. I've been using him quite a bit. Rudy Gay ended up playing through that shoulder issue and had one of his best outings of the season 28 points, 10 rebounds. This is more of what I expect out of Rudy Gay. Uh, same for you. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the biggest point of the night, I don't know if you saw the highlight came, I think there were 0.7 seconds left on the clock. Kemba Walker had just gotten by. It must, must have been Rondo. Maybe they switched. I didn't, I didn't see that play closely, but he had just gotten by for what looked to be the game-winning layup. Uh, Sacramento uh, call, called timeout after that make, advanced the ball up toward half court, and Rajon Rondo delivered a perfect pass to Rudy Gay uh, for, for kind of a, a backdoor alley-oop over Marvin Williams just as time expired to send that one into overtime. But yeah, strong performance from Rudy Gay, and this one strong performance from Demarcus Cousins as well. He goes for thirty and eleven with three blocks. Um, you know, some odd lines. You see, Colley Stein eight minutes in this one, zero points, uh, no steals, no blocks, an assist and a board. I, I think that might be kind of a, a typical night for him on on certain nights, just because of how how in flux this lineup has been and what a unique talent he is. But yeah, Rondo. I mean, a guy who continues to play huge, huge minutes, and this was even with Darren Collison healthy. You know, we saw him playing 48 minutes in back-to-back games. He was up over 40 for five or six games in a row. And 46 minutes in this one, obviously, it did go to overtime. So there's the extra uh, extra couple minutes there. But 14 points, 20 assists, four steals, eight rebounds. A guy who continues to put up huge daily fantasy numbers. Yeah, of course. I was a guy that took a chance on him, and he has been paying off for me exceptionally well. I've loved to see it. One thing that he doesn't do all that well, or maybe you'd expect him to do better since he – you know, gets a lot of steals a game, four steals per game. He doesn't really play great shutdown defense on opposing point guards. Kemba Walker going for 39 points, five assists, six rebounds, two steals, and three blocks. Talk about a DFS performance. That's a guy right there that I think is generally overlooked on the whole. Yeah, and he's typically underpriced too, especially on nights when there's six, seven games. You know, you usually don't see him among that top tier group of point guards. So, you know, maybe this performance will help to change that. But Rajon Rondo's 20 assists. This was his seventh career game with 20 assists. That's He's the active leader now. Um, I'm, I'm sure you can tell me who number one with the most career 20 assist games is. This is pretty obvious. Rick Carlisle? Rick Carlisle? I think he holds like the, the Dallas Mavericks coach? Yeah, well, he holds the most assists in one game with 30. Scott Skiles? Oh, Scott Skiles. <laughs> Yikes. 
I mean, I'm like, uh, is it that obvious? They look the same. No, Sky, yeah, Skiles has he has four career games of 20 assists, but he does hold the single game record with 30. I was in the right vein, by the so, way. Yeah, I think so. maybe maybe giving you the number will help. 34 career games with 20 plus assists. I mean, we're talking like the John all, Stockton. John Stockton. Okay. Number two with 13. Number two with 13. Scott 13. Skiles. No, no, Scott Skiles has four four career games. He's not up there. What? This guy. This guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Lock. I mean. He's already in the Hall of Fame. Magic Johnson. Oh, of course. Eight, number three on the list with eight career 20 assist here. games. Well, I mean, come on. Steve Nash. Uh, and Rondo pulled even with Kevin Johnson now uh, for, for I guess, what would be tied for fourth place on this list with seven career 20 assist games. He, he was tied with a certain point guard who is currently playing in the Western Conference uh, with six 20 assist games. This is a very surprising name to me, but do you know who that might be? Active player. Uh, Chris Paul. Chris Paul is a good guess. He's got three. Darren Williams, six career 20 assist games. We forget how good he used to be. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I would have thought those would be switched if nothing else. You know, Paul was six and Williams with three, but six career 20 assist games for Darren Williams. So good for him. But, uh, yeah, sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah. Maybe I just thought that was interesting. Honestly, I thought, I thought Rondo would have more than seven. It seems like he was, you know, that, that post Garnett Allen year with, with the Celtics when he was just kind of doing his own thing and then just racking up assist numbers while they were racking up losses. I feel like he had seven <laughs> that season alone, but apparently not. Um, yeah, you already mentioned Kemba Walker in this game, 39 points. He was a plus 11. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, nine points, five boards off the bench, game high, plus 23. Jeremy Lin had a couple of nice late buckets in this one, um, but it was pretty much the Kemba show for Charlotte. Yeah, most definitely. Eight and six are the Hornets. Are they going to make any noise in the Eastern Conference, Nick? Yeah, I think that noise is going to be buzzing mostly. Ooh, okay. um, and if they do, I think they'll they'll be hovering right around that seven, eight, nine uh, tier for most of the season. I mean, the eight and six is probably right about the start that that they would expect. Um, and you know, they're right in that tier with Washington, Boston, New York. I think they're probably a step ahead of New York, probably a step ahead of Detroit, maybe right in the same group as Boston, probably a step below you know, your Atlantas and your Washington. So I think they're firmly in competition for the seventh and eighth spot, if nothing else. Six and one at home. Rick Carlisle has 201 career assists, so that's how dumb I am. <laughs> well, you met Scott Skiles initially, right? Uh, yeah, no, I meant I meant Scott Skiles, but I said Rick Carlisle. Okay. Like, you can believe right. me if you want to believe me, but like going <laughs> o- a current coach, I was just like stunned by that guess. I didn't know how to react. I'm sorry. I uh, the look on your face made me feel like two dollars. Um, <laughs> anyways, Orlando Magic unsurprisingly lose to the Cleveland Cavaliers, 117 to 103. Tobias Harris goes for only nine points. Alfred Payton, four assists. Two rebounds. I'm worried about Alfred Payton. I am too. People are so high on him, but he can't score. I mean, he's a lesser version of Rondo. He can't score. All he can well, do is yeah, assist he can't and pass steal. Like that either. I mean, he's. Yeah. If there was an award for like least improved player, um, I don't know who we could give that to. Maybe like the the Bobby Simmons Memorial Award or something <laughs> after after winning Sixth Man of the Year. But yeah, I mean, a guy is shooting 34 percent from the field, and this is a, a, a player who only attempts one and a half threes a game, and. He, so basically he's shooting 35% on two-pointers, which is atrocious for any player, uh, let alone somebody who, who gets most of their attempts near the basket. The six assists are nice. I mean, he's, he's firmly in that Rondo type of category, a guy who's super pass-first. You don't have to worry about him on the perimeter. And we've seen that work in certain situations when you have enough talent around you. Uh, but if that talent's not there, like it isn't in Orlando, it makes for a really tough situation. 
Shabazz Napier played 29 minutes versus Peyton playing 19. So that really, that's all you need to know right there. Napier only put up 11 points, 11 assists. So at any point, would you see Peyton coming off the bench? The thing is, I don't really know what he does for you off the bench because if anything, you want to put him on the starting point guard to shut him down or try to shut him down or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it could be similar to almost a Patrick Beverly situation, but the thing about Beverly is he can at least spot up and shoot. He's a good catch-and-shoot uh, three-point guy, so you don't really have to worry about him as much on the offensive end as you do Peyton. But I just think this is a guy who they spent the 10th overall pick on last season, and a guy who was pretty good as a rookie. I think he was generally considered to be a success, and you know, obviously he hasn't taken the step forward that they hoped, but I also don't think they're going to be ready to quite give up on him after 14 games. So, you know, if this is continuing and we're on game 35, 36, um, you know, then then some things might change. And uh, that could be as drastic as looking to move him early. I mean, we've seen teams, especially young teams like this, uh, give up on certain guys early in their career. I mean, even Michael Carter-Williams, the guy who won the, the rookie of the year. Of the year I mean, a year yeah. later, he's traded. Um but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's going to be anything that drastic quite yet. But I certainly think he could move to the bench. I mean, this is a Scott Skiles is, you know, somewhat of a no nonsense coach, and he's not, he's never really been somebody who, who sticks to any kind of, I don't know what the right word is exactly. You know, he's not going, he's not going to play someone just because they were a high draft pick. Basically, right. is what I'm going to say. And he's, if, if, if Alfred Payton is not helping this team win games, and he's certainly not right now. I don't think he's going to be shy to give a guy like Shabazz Napier a shot, even maybe play Victor Oladipo on the ball a little bit more. But, yeah, something has to change here. I mean, Cleveland pretty much, you know, end-to-end ran them out of the gym in the second half. Kevin Love at 27 points at halftime, easily his best game of the season. Just eight rebounds, which, you know, for him is a low enough total. But, yeah, LeBron, a lot of facilitating in this one. Della Vadova was banged up. He only played 24 minutes. Basically shouldn't have played in this right. one, according to David Blatt. I mean, Mo Williams was sitting out. Uh, Della Vadova has that ankle injury, but nine assists for him in 24 minutes, and, and Cleveland is completely rolling. 34 assists for them on, on 43 made shots. I've seen, I think there was an, I wouldn't say an upswell, uh, a minor upswell, and this was mostly, I follow quite a few Cavaliers writers on Twitter, so I see a lot of that stuff. Um, but there was a, a, an argument, I should say, at least going on, that the Cavs' 11-3 and start with all their injuries and all that's gone on with them is more impressive than the Warriors going 15-0 and with no injuries and all the continuity. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. It's pretty easy to forget that the Warriors don't have their head coach right now, and that's a pretty big missing piece. Um, but that said, I mean, Mozgov's hurt right now. Kyrie hasn't played. Shumpert hasn't played. JR was hurt. Uh, LeBron had the back issue before the season. Obviously, he hasn't missed any time, but it's impressive what they've done, and an 11 and 3 start considering all those injuries i think cleveland has to be thrilled with that i was just about to bring that up nick in that iman shumpert and kyrie irving two starters for the cavaliers haven't played yet this season and so obviously you would if they had kyrie would they be undefeated they, you, I don't they could know. so easily be undefeated. They went to two overtimes in Milwaukee. That's one of the losses. And they he lost steps op- up in those situations. Right. They lost in opening on opening night to chicago uh, you know, that was a close game down to the wire and, and one where they certainly struggled offensively. I don't, I don't think they got to 100 points in that one. Um, and I, don't remember, I don't recall the other loss off the top of Milwaukee my head. Milwaukee Bucks, it, double overtime. Detroit, right? Oh, yeah. It was Detroit. So, I mean, games that, you know, it's not like they ever had a blowout loss to the Clippers or something by 30 where you just think it wasn't their night. I mean, this team, and how great would that narrative be if we had the 14-0 Cavaliers right now and the 15-0 Warriors and – you know, even so, I mean, the way that the Cavs are playing and, you know, with Kyrie sounding like he might be back in a couple weeks, 
we could have a situation where we have you know the Warriors going into the All Star break with three losses and the Cavs going in with six losses or something crazy like that. Could be. Um, Easily the two best teams in basketball. I think the three losses are actually misleading for how good these Cavaliers will be when they have everyone healthy, if they have everyone healthy. That's the biggest question mark. Let's move on, though, Nick, to the next game. On the slate, the New York Knicks lose to the Miami Heat 78-95. to The Heat are getting things done quietly. So down. Yeah. You look at the halftime score, 52-30. to I mean, It was pretty much sewn up at that point. Porzingis, 20-14. and 14, uh, Another nice line for him. him three for five from beyond the arc. I what impresses me most is that he's not hesitating at all anymore. I mean, he's coming off screens and hitting, you know, hitting or attempting at least, which is what you want to see from a rookie. Three pointers coming off screens and you know, shot faking, getting to the rim. And so he's not just living on putbacks like he was for the first couple of weeks of the season. The confidence is there, um, but yeah, I mean, they were just outplayed by Miami. Really, not much of an answer for Hassan Whiteside. Eleven rebounds for him, five blocks. I don't know if you saw the one. I think it was Lance Thomas last night who like who tripped. Well, well, going to the hole and like kind of threw up a shot as he was falling down, uh, and Whiteside just was like just kind of standing over him and like politely swatted it away, and <laughs> just like the easiest block you'll ever see in the NBA, let alone for a guy like Whiteside who makes any block look easy. Yeah, most definitely. The Knicks eight and seven. Now, Nick, we were out and about. I don't think you. I don't know if you were with us. We were just kind of you know getting some getting some brews after work one day. And I said, maybe the Knicks will, uh, you know, be a playoff team. And everyone just started yelling at me, just like screaming at me vehemently. And we're at a situation where they're a pretty solid team right now. Carmelo Anthony is kind of slotted into that role that you'd like him to be. He's taking 16 shots a game. Porzingis actually attempted 18 more shots than Anthony right now. I actually like the way that Carmelo is fitting into this offense more than I ever have at any point during his career. And another thing I really like is that Porzingis was held in that 20-minute range for the first 10 games of the season or so. Now he's playing a full load of minutes. Like, he is out there just as much as anyone. He plays 37. Carmelo plays 41. The next closest is Aaron Aflalo at 33. But this team is not bad at all, and they're only going to get better. I mean, Porzingis, you have to say that he's only going to get better. He did have a minus 8 on the plus-minus, but nobody really fared that well against the Heat. Yeah, and single you know single game plus minuses never really mean a whole lot. But you know going into going into last night's game with Porzingis and Carmelo on the floor, the Knicks were plus sixty five. Uh, you know when when those two are on the floor, considering all games this season, minus forty nine uh, in all other situations. So when they're not on the floor together, or when just one of them's on the floor. You know, obviously, that's still a relatively small sample size, um, and you know, blowouts and getting blown out can factor into that and swing it pretty drastically from night to night. But still, I mean, that's very telling and. You know this Knicks team; they don't necessarily have the young assets that uh, you know that a team looking to to get their way into contention would necessarily like to have. But I also wouldn't rule them out as a, a team that could look to make an acquisition. I mean, the Knicks are as desperate as any team to get into the playoffs. We know that, um, especially with the age that Carmelo's at right now. So if it comes to February and they're still hovering around 500, and you know maybe right there with the Charlotte and Milwaukee in that seven, eight, nine battle, and they're able to make even a minor move to to improve, probably maybe the backcourt. I mean, you don't want Jose Calderon starting for you and Langston Galloway's been able to give them nice minutes off the bench, but I think there's certainly room for an upgrade at one of the backcourt spots. So if they can do that at the right cost, I wouldn't rule that out. Looking at the Miami Heat, Justice Winslow still coming off the bench behind Luol Dank and Dwayne Wade. No surprises there. He's not really putting up a lot of production, 
but we're seeing him as an NBA ready defender right now. Like he he's shutting down guys. He's doing a really good job. Something that you won't see him in the rookie of the year voting at the end of the year, but he's going to be a really nice asset for them as they head into the Eastern Conference playoffs for sure. My only question with this Miami Heat team, when you have Wade, you have Dang, you have Bosch and Drogic, um, is are they going to be healthy when it matters? If they are, they're somebody that I think that could sneakily give the Cavs a good series. Yeah, absolutely. I think they, you know, especially Bosch and Wade, know LeBron's tendencies better than anyone right now and you know Spolstra, sure. you could say the same thing about it i think they would that would be a heck of a series and that's probably the dream series uh for the eastern conference finals right now with as shaky as the bulls have looked and you know, atlanta's fallen off of late um and yeah i mean we haven't really seen this team in a playoff setting with Whiteside. i mean it's Whiteside's kind of the big x factor for this team you know a guy who exploded mid-season we weren't really sure if what if it was going to continue this year questionable work i think in the past things like that but he's pretty much done everything right to date and he's been the biggest difference maker for them you take white side away from this team and i don't think miami is a true contender in the east like they are right now goran Dragic starting to play a little bit better off to a really really slow start but nine assists excuse me five assists nine rebounds three steals in this one to go with 13 points and you mentioned justice winslow he's now up to plus 98 on the year that's first among rookies by almost 40 points um so even if he's not filling up the box score and obviously he benefits when you're playing with a good team in miami but He's a guy that's doing a ton uh, that's not showing up in the box score, like you said, defensively. But even but even last night, six rebounds, three assists, seven points in 31 minutes for a guy that's like the fourth or fifth option when he's out there. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, still in a timeshare behind or along with Gerald Green. They're both very similar in terms of what position they play. Um, last thing I want to check here before I move on, of course, is that um, – Rather, I don't want to do that. But, oh, yeah, Justice Winslow averaging 28.3 minutes on the court, which is a lot. He's not he's not putting up the production, like I said, 7.5 points, 5 rebounds, 1.5 assists, half a steal, .2 blocks. Solid numbers, but you wonder, do you think that an offensive game is ever in his future? Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. At some point, I mean, this is a guy who we saw have a great offensive game at Duke. I don't think he just lose that. I mean, he's not going to be Tony Allen. Um, sorry, I'm getting distracted by Bill Walton wearing sunglasses. He and has been multiple. tearing up Maui Invitational coverage. This is his dream. Yeah, we have we got the yes. what game is this? St. John's and Indiana on in the studio right now. But yeah, I think I'm fully expecting Winslow to develop. I mean, it's been what 14 games, and we're already pigeonholing him as just a defender. No way. I, I think he's not going to become the next Dwayne Wade, but I, I think he can certainly be a, a very good offensive player in this league. Uh, he has a long way to go, that's for sure. But a, a guy who shot a great percentage from three at Duke, a great distributor, that's something that's impressed me the most is he's already a very skilled passer for a rookie, and that's not something that comes easy to a lot of young wings, especially guys as young as he is. I think he's only 19 or maybe just recently 20. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I like just about everything about Winslow's game, and there's a big reason I think we were both shocked that he fell all the way to number 10. Most definitely. Yeah, that Walton is just like we might have to turn that off. He That's why I got flustered a couple of minutes ago too. Maybe you wonder if uh, Winslow could be something like of a Jimmy Butler. In, in Jimmy yes. Butler's rookie season, he was averaging 2.6 points. He had worse averages. And even in his second season, very similar average to Justice Winslow, where the offensive game slowly comes over yeah. time. Similar and body styles. Similar body similar styles. Play. I think yeah, I think that's a really good comp, and that, that's probably the best one. I mean, the lefty comparison, you saw Harden you know, throwing around, and I could – I would I, certainly what we've seen from Harden now. I wouldn't be on board with that. Um, but sim- I mean, Harden was not the enforcer 
four or five years ago that he is now and that's important to remember too and you know Winslow's a big time prospect a guy who's you know been the best offensive player on his team for most of his life so certainly not ready to rule that out and Luol Deng very much questionable tonight and very much or excuse me Wednesday and very much questionable for Friday's game as the Heat finish up a a three-game road trip so this might be a couple opportunities if Deng does sit out those games and, and it sounds like there's a very real possibility of that uh, for Winslow to maybe get some run with that starting unit and just see more minutes overall. Milwaukee Bucks 109, Detroit Pistons 88. Good win for the Milwaukee Bucks as the Pistons go down to 7-7. Seven and seven. They had that West Coast trip. They kind of got it out of the way already. But what I'm noticing so far is that the starters aren't quite playing the same amount of minutes they were to begin the season. Maybe they're getting a little tired or something like that because they were all playing 32 to 36 minutes a game at least last night nobody plays more than 26 minutes as a starter Stanley Johnson sees 26 minutes off the bench the minutes are starting to move around do you think that'll stay or rather what do you think is going to happen for the rest of the season because there's no way that you have Marcus Morris Ilyasova Drummond Jackson Caldwell Pope playing 36 minutes a game it's just not sustainable over the course of the season right or am I I wrong for most of those guys I think you looking at just looking at last night's box score doesn't really tell much of the story I think this game was out of control midway through the third quarter and they just sat the guys the rest of the game it wasn't like Van Gundy was trying to evenly distribute minutes or anything like that I mean Drummond's going to be up in the high 30s most nights Reggie Jackson might end up leading the league in minutes when it's all said and done. I think KCP's been playing a ton of minutes. I think Morris and Urson, maybe you worry a little bit more about just because they're similar players in themselves. And you got you got a guy like Anthony Tolliver who actually played really well last night. Uh, you had a huge block on, on a Greg Monroe dunk attempt, which is actually pretty impressive. And Stanley Johnson, and even Darren Hilliard, who they seem to like quite a bit. Um, so I, you know those are the two guys to worry about. But the big three of Drummond, Jackson, and KCP, I think, are going to keep seeing huge minutes as long as they're not blown out. Um, yeah, I'm worried about this Pistons team now. They were kind of the darling of the league for a week and a half, starting 5-1, and one, <laughs> that wins over Portland, Phoenix, Chicago, Utah, Atlanta. I mean, those all look like good wins and still do for the most part. Maybe the Portland one, not so much. Uh, but like you said, they went out west and, and got swept on that uh, on the back end of that six-game uh, road trip. They lose the last four. Then they go in and beat Cleveland at home. They beat Minnesota, which is a very improved Minnesota team, but now losses to Washington and Milwaukee. So... All of a sudden, after starting 5-1, and one, they drop six of their next eight, and they kind of look like the Pistons of old again. Yeah, most definitely. I In the East, of course, they're right there in the thick of things. They can certainly make the playoffs. I mean, for goodness sake, they're still ahead of the Bucks at 6-8. and eight. Giannis, 17 points, 6 rebounds, um, 4 assists. Jabari- very quiet 17-6 and six for him, too. A lot of this came in the second half. Didn't really seem to be a huge part of the offense. It was pretty much the Monroe show for most of this game. And Michael Carter-Williams played really well, too. Yeah, and it's been a while since Carter-Williams has played well. It I know certainly if, has. If you're playing on DraftKings, he's just been absolutely terrible for you. You might as well light your money on fire, even though he's at a good price. I think he usually sits in that 5000 to $6,000 range. At times, he'll creep out to 7000 And he certainly can break out and have a solid game where he helps out across the board. 12 points, 3 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 steals and a block. Chris Middleton for me has been the disappointment of the entire season. Uh, maybe it's because I had a, I have a lot of shares in him but we're just not seeing the alpha offensive output that we did or what, that we thought we were going to see coming out of last season where he was maybe one of the more surprising players from last year. Yeah, I mean, you look at his averages, they're pretty much mirror images. 13.4 points per game last season. He's at 13.7 this season. Percentage-wise, he's certainly down uh, from the field. Just 
overall field goal percentage, but he's actually shooting better from three on more attempts per game. So I think I'll have to disagree with you on that. But one. He's I think playing he's just, four more minutes a game, right. and it's another season under his belt. You didn't think that his numbers from last year were going to increase, especially with I the really, added time on the court? I really didn't think so, to be honest. I just didn't think he was the type of guy that you – like what about him could have improved a ton more other than just volume? I mean, he's not somebody that you think – He's not athletic enough to really be a, an off-the-dribble scorer, and he never really has been. I think something like 98% of his made threes came off of assists last season. I mean, he, he's a catch-and-shoot guy, and this is kind of what you expect from him. I guess maybe the rebounding's a bit down, you know, more than one per game fewer despite playing four more minutes per game. That that could be an issue, and rebounding's been a huge issue for the Bucks overall. But, no, I, I think I think they're paying Middleton to be a catch-and-shoot guy, and right now he's shooting 40% or, excuse me, 43% uh, from three, and, and I think they're fine with that. All right, fair enough. If uh, my expectations for the season is that he would just basically become their main go-to option, which he is in, in a lot of certain cir- circumstances, maybe more um, at the end of shot clocks. I'm seeing a lot of those shot attempts go to Giannis, though, where yeah. Giannis has really taken an uptick in his field goal attempts from last season. Let me get, pull up field the number percentage here. as well, too. And that's, right. that's been really the most encouraging thing for him. I mean, a guy who shot very well from the field last season – uh, was right around 50%, and he's he's up to 52% now, uh, while taking three more shots per game. He's he's almost triple, or he's more than tripled, I guess, his three-point attempts. So that's not really saying much. He took less than one per game last year, uh, but either way, I mean, he's pretty much good for a three-pointer every game or every two games, and I guess that's all you can ask. I mean, I've been pretty vocal on on other podcasts that he still doesn't look confident from three. He still passes up a ton of opportunities, and oftentimes those result in turnovers or, or just kind of muddled possessions. But, yeah, I mean, he's really been the guy that's taken the step forward for them. And maybe that is part of the reason that, you know, in your mind, Middleton hasn't improved just because the opportunities haven't been there. But I don't know. I think I've watched enough Bucks basketball. To, you, you, just, you just don't see it with Chris Middleton. He's not, in the, he's not the Jimmy Butler type of mold where you think, man, if, this, you know, if they can take the ball out of Derrick Rose's hands and put it in Butler's hands, his, his averages are going to go up. I, just, I think Middleton knows what he is. The Bucks know what he is, and that's just a catch-and-shoot guy. There we go. Uh, Middleton, still a viable option in season-long leagues, although not really that great of an option in daily. And so maybe that's what I'm getting at is where, you know, in daily fantasy, he's not going to give you a massive game um, like maybe I thought he was where he would just, you know, just pour in buckets. Well, the thing, yeah, the thing about him is for as good as a, of a three-point shooter as he is, I mean, he's among the, the top 10 probably three-point shooters in the league in terms of efficiency. They don't, they don't like run specific sets for him to take six three-pointers a game like you see with a guy like Clay Thompson you know and Middleton's not somebody who's just going to catch and fire you know at a moment's notice he's he's very selective with his shooting and that's for sure uh just two attempts last night and I mean again a guy who's by far the best three-point shooter on this team and you know one of the biggest outside weapons uh, in the Eastern Conference and I, I mean, they, I'm not saying they don't ever run plays from because they do. There, there have been times, and uh, we've we've referenced that preseason game so many times that we were able to see in yes. person. But that was, you know, that was a great opportunity right at the end of a half. They had Middleton bring the ball up, get rid of it, run off a screen for a quick three, things like that. But you know, in half court sets, they're not necessarily looking to free him up, you know, to get five plus looks a game. It's just kind of, uh, you know, he'll get him in the flow of the offense, and maybe that's a big reason that he's been so efficient. There we go. Normally we would jump into the 76ers-Timberwolves, but we're going to have a rookie debate at the end of this podcast, so we'll skip that game for now since that was a rookie showdown. It was a good game. It was a, it was game. a great no, game. We're going to talk about the game. I got the a league pass alert from that game. Whoa. <laughs> which I did not expect. Uh, considering there's six wins combined from those two teams, we'll come back to it and we'll quickly touch on the last two games. 
San Antonio Spurs take care of the Phoenix yeah. Suns. I saw LaMarcus Aldridge on the bench, and maybe the first time I've ever seen him happy while on the bench because when he was out in Portland, if he was on the bench, that means they pretty much lost. But he was laughing it up, giggling like a schoolgirl out there as the San Antonio Spurs take care of business. business. <laughs> I got really, really... It's a B-I-D apostrophe I-Z. I got really... Um, <laughs> Yeah, really it urban is. there. So uh, Tony Parker, 20 points, 8 assists, 3 steals. Maybe one of his best games of the season, believe it or not. the I mean, yep. the, the Spurs keep winning, so it really doesn't matter how he plays. Suns, not that great anywhere except Markeith Morris puts up 28 points. TJ Warren, 16 points off the bench. Love DJ Warren. I know. I was just about to ask you about that. It's a guy you really love. Can he find his way into the starting five, edge out P.J. Tucker, or is P.J. Tucker just kind of a solid position player, a solid cog, considering they already have a lot of offensive weapons in that starting five to begin with? I, th- I think he could at some point. Um, you know, they, they had to shuffle the lineup a little bit in this one. No Eric Bledsoe for Phoenix, and you know that was certainly part of the reason that Tony Parker was able to go off and do what he did. But yeah, I mean, Marquise Morris, like you said, 28 points, 12 of 15 from the field. Easily his best game of the year. Did have six turnovers, though. Um, but, yeah, T.J. Warren, I mean, a, a guy that I, I got a chance to watch a couple times last week when the Suns were on League Pass or on TV. And I mean, he was commanding that second unit. I think it was the – it wasn't the Bulls game. It was whatever game they played that was on TV prior to that. Um, but he was, he was extremely efficient. He was doing a lot of ball handling, a guy that was getting to the rack, hanging in the air, making finishes, just stuff that we saw at NC State, stuff that we didn't really see much last year, didn't have as many opportunities. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I think he's such a contrasting player to P.J. Tucker that it would Definitely. be, it would be a, a pretty radical move to put him in that starting lineup. But this is a Suns team that has pressure from ownership to win. You know, Tyson Chandler is a good enough defender in the interior that you could probably afford to play T.J. Warren alongside Markeith Morris, Brandon Knight, and Devin Booker. I mean, Warren does have good size. Listed as a small forward, honestly, he, reminds, he plays more like a shooting guard, uh, I think, and, and really that, that maybe plays to his benefit that he can, can go both of those spots. But, yeah, I'm glad we're talking about him. I've been trying to, to get to him <laughs> on NBA TV of late. I always list him as, as a guy I want to talk about, and they keep passing him over So eventually. But I'm, I'm glad he's getting some pub on the spot at least. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, I wonder if the, him handling the ball is more of a product of them not having – or, you know, they rest Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight at the same time, so there's no point guard on the court. He's kind of right. moved into a role where he has to handle the ball, which is, it sounds like, coming from you, Nick, that that has really helped his game or added another layer to his game. And he's not swallowing, or his head isn't underwater in that scenario, where we've seen guys like Alec Burks maybe is a good um, one, where he says that he does not feel comfortable playing point guard. When he played under Ty Corbin, he said he'd rather play shooting guard. Doesn't feel especially, um, you know, facilitating. Obviously, he can drive um, to the hole as good as anyone else in the league. But, I, I, you know, T.J. Warren seems confident out there with the ball. And especially if Eric Bledsoe or Brandon Knight needs a night off or an injury comes upon them, sounds like they've got, a, you know, a point forward in T.J. Warren. Yeah, and this is a guy who only played 40 games last season, was glued to the bench for a lot of the year. And, you know, the Suns don't get a lot of publicity these days. I mean, <clears throat> for as fun of a team as they are to watch a lot of the time, you know, you look at T.J. Warren, some of the games he's had this year. I mean, 16 points on Monday at a 19-point game against the Lakers. That, that was the game I was referencing earlier. 18 points against the Clippers, 17 points against OKC, 17 points against Portland. I mean, a guy who's putting up big, big performances off the bench in, in fairly limited minutes, you know, usually high teens, low 20s, and really not getting a lot of publicity for it. But yeah, I mean, if, I, I would love to see him get into the starting lineup at some point. I just don't know. He's such, like I said, he's such a contrast from PJ Tucker uh, that I'm not sure the Suns would necessarily be willing to do that. And I think they also like him coming off the bench and being that spark. 
Yeah, and maybe evidence is that is that Devin Booker started last night. He played 24 minutes. And I was so, really hoping he would make the most of that, and that didn't really happen. No, he didn't. And, Nick, we had a great discussion about him in the preseason about, you know, we were going over who would be the guy who maybe like top 10 pick or top 15 pick who could be out of the league the quickest. And I said Devin Booker because, and you're shaking your head, let me give my reasoning and then you can combat it, is that – if his three-point shot is not falling and it just never falls, what good is he to the Phoenix Sun or any other team in the league? He's the youngest player in the league, obviously has a lot of room to grow. But if he just cannot get a shot down from beyond the arc, I think that he's generally useless to every team in the NBA. I don't know about that. I mean, I think he's a very underrated athlete. He's a guy who wasn't asked to do anything more than spot up in the corner at Kentucky, and we didn't really get to see that on full display. Um, I mean, he, he perform really well at the combine athleticism wise I think he's certainly not ready to to start breaking guys guys down one-on-one but he's definitely not just a shooter I mean this isn't like a you know current current day Mike Miller situation or anything (laughs) like that or James Jones I think he's that's certainly his strength and I mean he's shooting 67 percent from three this year on a limited number of attempts eight for 12 uh but so first of all that's not a concern at any point right now um, but he's, I mean, he's shooting 20 of 39 overall too, 51% for a rookie guard from the field. And again, very limited opportunities and, you know, going against, uh, backups for the most part, but I, I think Devin Booker is going to be really good. And then the age thing that you mentioned, I think that just kind of helps him. Fair enough. Over for two. So he was coming into the night eight for 10 from beyond the arc, yeah. finally gets to start waiting for him to just light it up. And he doesn't, he just didn't do it, but a lot of room to grow there. Very um, weird box score for the Suns. Those, the starting, oh, yeah. the starting five, uh, it was pretty much Markeith and everybody else. Yeah. Three players in the starting lineup, namely Tucker Chandler and Booker combined for five total points. Right. And so no wonder they lost 84 to 98. Looking at the Spurs team, I was talking to somebody in the office today, Nick, or I think it was last night, and I said, a good rule of thumb in DFS is to just fade the entire Spurs team besides Kawhi Leonard, and then you're going to be in the clear for a lot of this because um, of nights like last night. David West moves into the starting lineup, and you think, in place of LaMarcus Aldridge, David West, the guy that started in the past, I've used him in DFS in the past, but he moves into the system, only plays 22 minutes, 5 points, 3 rebounds. What do you think about that scenario, just only utilizing Leonard and just staying away from everyone else to avoid uh, you know, Spursian offense or Spursian ball sharing? Yeah, I think when Aldridge is in there, he's usually a pretty safe bet, especially if his price you know, is kind of lower than maybe it was for most of last and season. And it should keep dropping right. as the season goes along. Right. Duncan, you really can't trust. I mean, look at this game. 32 minutes takes six shots. I mean, he doesn't care about numbers at this point, and certainly Pop doesn't either. You're going to get games like this from Tony Parker every now and then. I mean, he's probably a good tournament play. Uh, against certain matchups, but you just yeah, can't one out of right. yeah you one out of sixteen basically. Exactly. This is the only night where he was worthwhile, right? Exactly, and you know the point guard position overall is so deep, especially when you're talking DFS. That if you had Tony Parker in your lineup on Monday and you had a couple other guys that hit, you probably did pretty well. But you know, like you said, you know, eight out of ten times he's probably going to burn you. Kawhi's the one guy that is he's getting so good and so fun to watch at this point, and he's slowly but surely climbing his way. I think into like my top five favorite players. And you know, I think a guy who, who has a real case for most improved player of the year if he keeps up these numbers. Oklahoma City took on the Utah Jazz, and they thoroughly yeah. beat him down, 111-89. to 89. Utah Jazz had the best defense coming into this game, maybe not so much anymore, although, you know, it's, it's the Oklahoma City Thunder at full strength. Kevin Durant was a game-time decision. He ends up playing 30 minutes, puts up 27 points, 8 rebounds, 
four steals. Russell Westbrook kind of pulls back a little bit. 20 points, seven rebounds, nine assists. You have to assume in DFS when we're seeing Russ's price get up into that $12,000 range, which is just absurd. I mean, he's like $1,200 more than Steph Curry is that with Durant on the court, you can't rely on Westbrook anymore like people have done in the past. Obviously, he's still going to be a triple-double threat, but not at a a well, price he only played 27 out. minutes in this one. I mean, yeah, if he, if he plays his usual 35 minutes, you're looking at probably a 27, 12, and 10 type of line from him. So that's part True. of it as well. But yeah, I mean, it's, you're you're definitely right to say that he's not going to be putting up those like guaranteed 30, 10, and 5 type of games. That when Kevin Durant's out, that's almost a lock, which is crazy. It is. Um, but yeah, Durant was great in this one. 10 of 13, 27 points. Six rebounds, four steals. I mean, he he was doing it all too. I mean, it didn't look limited by any means. Taking pull up threes in transition, he had a huge dunk on a pass from Westbrook. Just caught it one handed, way up above the rim. Uh, so the athleticism is certainly still there. It didn't look to be favoring that leg at all. How much of a disappointment are the Jazz to you? This is a team that not many people have talked about. They were such a big story for the second half of last season, just Ding everybody up and putting up these crazy defensive numbers. And I think they were the team that people maybe looked at as kind of this year's Hawks in a way that they're going to be extremely efficient defensively. They don't have that one big star, but they have a lot of really good players. And things have just not gone well. I mean, six and seven now, they just look like a really, really average team. And even though they are Ding up well, they can't score. Rudy Gobert has been a huge disappointment to me, a guy who's putting up basically per minute worse numbers than last season and just not it hasn't really been the defensive force that we all thought he would be so here's my take on Rudy Gobert one of my favorite players in the league even before he came into the starting role midway through last season is that teams have uh half a season of footage to look at his tendencies look at his guarding styles look at his offensive tendencies and you know they're they're just working around Rudy Gobert. They're finding ways to fade him out of the defensive strategy. Obviously, they still have one of the best defenses in the league, but they're finding ways to irritate him to get under his skin or not make him be effective at all. And that's no that's not surprising. Like that happened with Larry Sanders. Um, you know, you have half a good season. That's because you come out of it's nowhere. A low blow. And yeah, it's a low blow. And I love, yeah, I love taking knocks at Larry Sanders because he just doesn't want to play NBA basketball anymore. What is up with remember that? There, remember, there was that rumor where he was going to sign with the Mavs for like two days, like right at the beginning of the season, and then that just blew over. And they really needed. He even defensive. tweeted like going to Dallas, and I was like, oh, this is actually going to happen. And here we are now with Zaza and JaVale McGee. Pretty. Um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, Gobert hasn't been bad. I shouldn't. I shouldn't, pi- I shouldn't pile bad. on him. But, but he was like a first round draft pick in a lot of leagues this right. year. Right. But I mean, like Hassan Whiteside has been like way better than Gobert. That's what I was just about to say. That's is the that thing to me? Yeah. Is that but, is the exact same scenario here? Is that Hassan Whiteside is actually doing exceedingly better? I think better. people thought he would regress if anything. Right. And I and we were both in that same train of thought. So you know, you can you can eat away my argument for the game tape thing against Gobert, but it doesn't really hold up against Hassan Whiteside. So I don't know. What do you? think it is why do you think that Hassan Whiteside is better worse whereas Gobert well, I think that Gobert has never really had an offensive game and we maybe kind of put that on him even though it was never there Hassan Whiteside you know I guess it was there and we didn't know well it's still kind of generous to even say that Whiteside has an offensive game I mean That's his game true. is basically catch lobs put you know finish at the rim but he's I mean the touch is certainly there the touch that you know the Kings apparently didn't see when they when they were rostering him <laughs> right. earlier in his career um, but I mean, the other thing too, is if you, you know, per 100 possessions, Gobert's, Gobert's numbers look a lot better. It's the jazz team that, you know, that grinds it out and, and plays fewer possessions. So there are fewer opportunities for rebounds, blocks, et cetera. And that's probably part of it. But yeah, I mean, he's, he just doesn't have, 
he just doesn't have like the the extreme kind of all over the court mobility, blocking this, blocking that that we saw for most of last season. And this is a guy that's averaging you know close to three blocks a game, sure. so I shouldn't be killing him like this. But you know, three combined blocks over his last three games—is that really what we expected? No, not at all. And you drafted him to have an elite blocking capability. Hassan Whiteside leads the league with 4.8 blocks. I don't know if that's sustainable, but um, good on him to keep that up. He's definitely been surprising. Someone, Nick, that we thought maybe wouldn't even make it through the season before getting canned in Miami just for you know various reasons. Now that looks incredibly dumb. Spolstra? Uh, no, not Spolstra. Whiteside. Oh, it's Canned. <laughs> oh, like, sorry. No, I, yeah, Canned, you usually refer to coaches with yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> we get but, a fu- You're fired, Hassan Whiteside. Yeah, you're fired. Uh, anyways, you know. <laughs> I got to wish that term would be used instead of, like, released. Yeah, Canned. <laughs> and just like the official Twitter, Philadelphia 66ers have Canned Pierre Jackson today. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, I like isn't, it. Don't they use, like, overseas? Isn't the word sacked instead of yes, fired? Yeah, sacked. And that, they use that for football managers. He's been sacked today. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there's my soccer Do knowledge a coming flavor out. Yeah. Into this podcast. All right. So heading into the last game, the rookie showdown, Minnesota Timberwolves end up winning this one 100 to 95, a decent game. But the battle of the rookies, Jalil Okafor comes away with the W, 25 points, 12 rebounds. Wow. Where, whereas Carl Anthony Towns, big cat, only six points. One steal, two blocks, no, or two rebounds in 19 minutes. And so what did you think here out of the, the rookie showdown? Am I putting too much emphasis on this? Well, I mean, I, I guess Okafor got the W as far as better numbers. Uh, I mean, the, the Sixers are now 0-15. He hasn't shown the best body language, and, you know, it's tough to, to oh, show good body language. Oh, speaking of body language. I saw, yeah, yeah last night. Um, yeah, there was a, yeah. a video going around of Okafor kind of just – lazily walking after the game, walking into the locker room and just kind of, you know, downtrodden, sullenly walking, like walked into the wall. Yeah, and the best part was is that he walked into the wall on the right-hand side and directly across the left was the Sixers logo, like painted on the wall. Yep. Um, talk about like a, like a three-year-old attitude losing a game, like stomping your feet and just throwing your head around. But he still had a really good game. Nick, we were talking about before the pod, when Okafor is on the court, the 66ers, or 76ers, sorry, are um, too much Tulsa in me, the 66ers. Anyways, um, Okafor has created one of the worst teams defensively in NBA. When he's off the court, they actually aren't that bad at all. At some point, do you say, we might be a better team without Okafor on the court, but obviously the 76ers don't think in that train of thought. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, pretty obvious at this point that they are a better team without him and that goes for most teams with rookies um you know, it's pretty rare for a guy like justice winslow to be that big of a net positive and, and even a guy like porzingis um but yeah i don't think they're necessarily interested in winning i think that's pretty clear they're already i mean 0 and 15 they're in a 15 game hole they're not coming anywhere close to the playoffs ben simmons I don't think, here we come yeah i don't think they really care uh, to be honest at this point i think this is more of a, de- a developmental year and that's kind of how it's always been you know since since sam hinkey took over for Philadelphia so they're not they're certainly if you're implying that they might bench him or anything or reduce his minutes because he's he's been a negative I don't think there's any chance of that happening um and you know I, I mentioned to you before the podcast that he's been putting up great numbers and you know are they empty numbers in a lot of ways yes clearly they're not winning games or helping them win games but at the same time it's hard to fault a rookie who's who's putting up 25 and 12 on another you know a, a good defensive tandem and Garnett and Gorgie Jang and Towns but 
Towns was in foul trouble for a lot of this one. He committed his fourth foul uh, early in the third quarter, sat from the, sat the final 10 minutes and three seconds of the third quarter, didn't come back in until a few minutes into the fourth. So that kind of goes to explain part of that line, but really wasn't a factor down the stretch at all. Didn't score in the fourth quarter, uh, didn't do a whole lot. It was pretty much the Wiggins show. I mean, Philadelphia uh, was up in this one with just a few minutes left. They were up 86-82 at the four-minute mark, uh, still up 91-89, to right around two minutes and and at that point it was pretty much Wiggins he got fouled on a turnaround jumper hit the free throw and and then I don't know if you saw this season there's a crazy sequence Kevin Martin got a steal uh it ended up in the hands of Wiggins threw it ahead to Martin looked like he had an open layup and Jeremy Grant came with like what arguably in my mind is the block of the year so far it's a huge (laughs) swat off the backboard and like everyone was just so stunned by the block Grant kind of fell to the ground so did Martin Wiggins just was able to pick up the ball and I forget who it was, Covington maybe was under the hoop, and just huge dunk and one. Uh, well, got the foul, didn't make the free throw, of course. But uh, So basically those back-to-back foul plus one plays for Wiggins are what ended up putting Minnesota over the top, uh, and Kevin Martin hit kind of the dagger three about a minute later. But this is as close as the 76ers have come, and this Timberwolves team certainly isn't good, but this would have been a, a fairly quality win for Philadelphia. I mean, this would have been a bigger win than beating the Lakers or the Nets or a team like that. Yeah, most definitely. They're they're on the Cubs. They're going to win eventually, and then we'll put this whole thing to bed. Coming up, they have the Celtics, Rockets, Grizzlies, Lakers. December 1st uh, against the Lakers is probably where we might have an interesting showdown. I don't think What a game that's going to be. Against the Lakers? Yeah. That might be a highly watched game just because— I'm gonna, I'm gonna, That's a appointment television. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Martin, of course, moves into the starting lineup. This is an ideal situation, an ideal night for Kevin Martin, where he plays against the 76ers, plays 32 minutes. He still only put up 11 points, one rebound, one steal. I, I mean, just don't be fooled by him being a starter and playing 30 Kevin minutes. Martin line. Vintage. DVR was venting his frustrations on Twitter about Kevin Martin and yeah, he got what was coming to him. Yep, pretty much. Nick, let's just roll this right into a Rookie of the Year conversation. Leading candidates, you have to think, are Jalil Okafor or Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Ops Porzingis. Anyone else you want to throw into that mix before we debate the three? I think the the only one that's maybe worthy of that mix is probably Emmanuel Moutier. Would you say so? Yeah, I think so. I think you know the numbers are going to be there for Moutier for the most part. Uh, efficiency, maybe not so much, but I think right now Towns is the pretty clear leader. I think Porzingis maybe is the people's champ right now, and we'll see how this continues. I mean, I, I almost feel like the way Porzingis is playing right now, it's, he's not due for a big drop-off, and maybe Towns isn't either. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a two-horse race for the most part. D'Angelo Russell kind of been shackled by Byron Scott uh, for the and most Kobe part. And Kobe Bryant. Yeah, and Kobe Bryant. Uh, I think that's going to kind of ultimately be his downfall. But even so, I think Moody is probably clearly ahead of Russell at this point. Okafor might end up with the best numbers of any of these rookies by the end of the year. But it, I was going to say it's hard to give the rookie of the year to a 76er, but Michael Carter-Williams, I guess, proved us wrong on that one. So... I think Towns is, is my number one. Porzingis, even though he hasn't done it super efficiently, is my number two. Uh, the Okafor three, Moutier four. Um, I don't know. There's a couple guys you could throw in there. I mean, Rondé Hollis Jefferson has looked really good for the Nets. He's a big part of the reason that they're not defeated. Uh, Justice Winslow, I and mean, we've kind of already said our piece about him. I think it's kind of a you know big four and then everybody else, though. Yep, so we got the the five people that we mentioned are all averaging double-digit points. Russell throwing into that big four. Otherwise, Stanley Johnson, Justice Winslow coming in at 8.1 and 7.5 points, respectively. Someone who is completely off the radar for me, uh, Nemanja Bielica. 
from Minnesota. You're shaking your head I, because I am not sold on him. You aren't sold on him. He's been a solid piece. I, I, For a six and eight team, yeah, I don't. Know. He's been a solid piece at keeping Shabazz Muhammad off the court, which I'm not a big fan of. I don't know. I mean, he's he hasn't he hasn't been bad. I guess I, I thought when we you know seeing him a couple times in the preseason and seeing him in the regular season, I thought he was just kind of a stiff who was out there chucking threes. He's been rebounding really well. That's the, that's the thing that I guess I didn't realize that he was doing for them. Um, but at the same time, I mean, he's he's certainly not a rookie of the year candidate, but he he's been surprisingly. Uh, solid. I just think I'd rather see more of Shabazz than him. Yep, fair enough there. Right now he's dealing with a knee injury, so he hasn't played in his last two games. Nick, a couple of uh, Twitter questions for us here, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, love to get your interest here. Um, so the first one, who is the next? And this is from Jimmy Vo. Jimmy, thanks for the Twitter question. Who is the next big man that's under the radar right now? And so obviously you're not going the next with big man or like big man, like forward center. I would say forward center. Okay. Under the radar now, obviously you're not going with Bielitsa, huh? He was somebody that you might toss into that ring over the next few years, um, no. coming out into a Ryan Anderson type of role. No, not at all. Sure. I mean, that's probably the best comparison for him, I guess. I would. I can't even believe we're mentioning him as like next big thing. This, this guy's like the ninth. Not best next big thing, but next solid rotation player. Sure. Uh, well, I think next big thing, if we're talking real big, is Derek Favors, um, a guy who really hasn't gotten much attention uh, nationally playing in Utah. A guy who's you know that's kind of Gordon Hayward's team in a lot of ways. But Derek Favors is 24 years old, and he's not turning 25 until next summer. I mean, this guy is the same age as like some rookies that are coming in. He's younger than like what two years younger than Damian Lillard. I mean, a guy who's been in the league since 2010. The numbers uh, don't necessarily fly off the page at you, but 16 points, two steals, a block and a half, an assist and a half, nine rebounds, uh, three of those being offensive, and 53% from the field. I I think Derek Favors is is a really, really, really good player, Um, and I think he's kind of been overshadowed by Hayward and Gobert when you talk about the Jazz. Um, But, you know, if you're looking for a guy that I think over the next couple years could have the potential to develop into a top-flight guy, I think it is Favors. I think he could follow kind of a, a LaMarcus Aldridge type of trajectory where you know, the league knows he's a good player. He's probably the second, third best player on his team. But, you know, as, as he continues to develop and get into his later 20s, then maybe he rounds into his own. And he doesn't have the same game as Aldridge, but I think he could be that kind of player. Not a tier one superstar by any means, but a guy who could be the best player on a, on a pretty decent team. He started out his career in the, with the New Jersey Nets and moved his way over to Utah, waited behind, like you said, Nick, uh, those guys, Al Jefferson. Mil and, and, and Yep, Millsap, yep. and then they got red. And then you remember that. Remember when Canner and Favors were like, oh, they're going to be so good. Let's let's get Jefferson out. Let's get Millsap out, and they're going to be amazing. I wish they would have given that a shot, to be honest. Well, they did give it a shot for like a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, Ty I Corbin was the X factor in that not working out, I guess you could right. say. Right, well, I mean, like Gobert was there last year. Um, they they still had Millsap 2013-14, didn't they? I don't think so. I think they, they got not? rid of those guys at the same time. They got rid of, I mean, they dumped a lot of assets all at once. Well, Millsap signed with Atlanta as a free agent. I'm, I'm trying to look back real quickly. Uh, I, I could be totally wrong on this, and you, you certainly have more jazz knowledge than I do. Um, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, they didn't, they, they didn't have Paul Millsap back then, so... Marvin Williams, you know, was there. Richard Jefferson was there soaking up minutes. Um, just some pretty gross names if you scroll through. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that pairing maybe long-term doesn't work out the greatest, but I would have at least liked to see how it would have worked out. I mean, Cantor's so talented as a rebounder. I mean, the best offensive rebounding rate in the league, that's a stat that I've kind of been, been harping on just because, I mean, he's not playing the most minutes, but he's he's been that good offensively. 
Uh, defensively, I think that's where you look to favors to kind of offset that. So um, maybe one of the great what-ifs in NBA history. What if Thunder sixth man Enos Cantor could have played with current third-best player on the Jazz, Derek Favors? Yeah, yeah, that is the biggest what if. Uh, a few names I'm just going to toss out there to you, Nick. Um, in terms of big man, I would say that Porzingis has to be the the outright next big guy. Like if we're gonna if we're gonna really talk about it, favors as well though. He's already proven that he's can do it over over a few seasons now. But I do want to throw just a couple more names at you, Johnny O'Brien, someone who's getting probably more run than he should as a shooter. I know you're giving me that look, but he's somebody that's on the horizon. You don't know. Not even gonna say anything. I, are you joking or not? I, can't, I really can't tell. I hope you are. No. No. Now, no. No. Now, see, he's here's on the, the horizon thing. of going to the D League. Okay, but here's the thing: is maybe I should step away from the next big man to be a dominant force <laughs> in the NBA and and be more realistic here in terms of can he be a serviceable option in a rotation as we've seen him be? Maybe not serviceable, but can he handle 24 to 28 minutes in somebody's rotation and actually provide somewhat of you know extend the court just a little bit? I really don't think so. I think Not at he all. he had a couple decent games, you know, for Milwaukee when Parker was out and some other injuries. No, I mean this guy, this guy's the fourteenth man. Um, it, if everything goes right and he like peaks, peaks, peaks out, he's like Brandon Bass. Um, okay, and that is a ton to ask. Brandon Bass was a much better player at this point in his career than O'Brien is. So, yeah, I mean he's a guy who had a, again a couple nice games. He had an eleven and nine with three assists game against Denver. Uh, two weeks ago, which, which was nice, but no, I mean he's he's not on the radar as a as a future rotation guy in my mind. Montrez Harrell out of Houston. I know I'm like really scrapping, You're really really scraping. I know I know I'm getting really down in the dumps here. He's averaging ten minutes out in Houston, but somebody for Louisville, he was you know just just a beast in the boards. He's 21 years old now, so he's not you know that teenage wonder that we're used to seeing. But somebody that maybe could provide reliable rebounding, maybe just a low double-double guy in the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, he's another guy that I think is, you know, he's a guy who'll sign a one-year deal here, get cut here, sign on here. I mean, he's kind of like a Jeff Adrian to me. I don't, I don't think he has any kind of future as a, as a big-time rotation guy. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, we're still so early into his rookie year. But he is a great rebounder at the college level. He's also 6'8". And I think that's going to hurt him a ton in the pros. So you know, I don't. I, I like Montrezl Harrell. He's one of my one of my favorite rookies to watch uh, when he's in there. Kind of a mini Kenneth Farid in a lot of ways. But I just think he's a little bit too undersized and has like no semblance of a. Of a, of a smooth offensive game outside of five feet, so that, that's a problem for me. All right. So I'll, last question on this because obviously are these from Twitter, by the way. No. Okay. No, no, see, no. I didn't know there was this much interest in like Montrez Harrell and Johnny O'Brien. No, 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 no. These are just me trying to think up of guys that are completely off the radar that might be serviceable in the next couple of years. Okay. And because they just don't, we don't talk about these players enough. And sure. that, um, we talk about, you know, your, your top 50 guys all the time. If you could pick one person to roster up in a fan, like a dynasty fantasy league, Alfa Okaminu, Myers Leonard, or Mason Plumley, which of those Portland Trailblazers? would you go with because I think that is a pretty good crop of guys that we could say it may be a next big uh next big big man that's really hard to say um could come out of that group right there yeah I think you the ceilings for all these guys are fairly limited I mean we, we don't have any superstars in this bunch by any no, means no but way. yeah I mean there, there could be a there could be a 15 and 8 guy you know a good rotational guy in this group for sure and you know, we might see that as the season develops uh Myers Leonard a guy who's been hurt lately I like him because of his ability to stretch the floor. Uh, in the in the nine games that he has played this year, he's shooting just twenty six percent, you know, on three and a half attempts, which is 
you know, Spencer Hawes-esque. Uh, but last year, 42% on two attempts per game, a guy who's hitting a ton of big shots at the end of the year for them. Um, Aminu, I don't know. I, I do like Aminu a ton. I just think he's kind of limited as far as where, like his upside. You know, I mean, he's kind of a tweener, power forward, small forward type of guy. I think what we're seeing with him right now, 13 points, you know, seven and a half boards, a couple assists, and a block a game is probably where he tops out at. And I think that's fine. I think, you know, if you're playing him 33 minutes, that's the kind of production that you want from him. Mason Plumlee is intriguing. I mean, he's the same age as Al Farouk Aminu, 25 years old. Obviously, he's a little more inexperienced, a guy who played uh, at Duke for considerably longer than Aminu spent at Wake Forest. I do like Plumlee, but I think I'm going to have to go with Leonard out of these three just because of that shooting ability. I think Mason Plumlee could be a very, very serviceable center because of that athleticism and because of his rebounding ability and his ability to block shots at at a decent rate. Um, At the same time, though, I'm... I'm wondering why Brooklyn let him go. And maybe it was just a Brooke Lopez thing and they didn't, they didn't want any kind of impotence there and they see Plumlee as a true five, which, which is probably right. Um, but he just seemed like you know, kind of far and away they're one of their better young assets. And they just for a team that doesn't have a lot of young assets or any assets at all for that matter, uh, it was a little strange that they, that they allowed him to, to get out of town like they did. Especially with Brooke Lopez always hurt every single season. It seems like maybe they'd want some insurance Right uh, at center, um, I you know everyone loves Myers Leonard and they fall in love with him. Um, the ladies love Myers Leonard out in Portland. He's one of the most oh, yeah. famous players um, uh, for the Trailblazers. But Mason Plumley and Aminu are putting up double doubles right now. We didn't see Leonard do that when he was on the court, so I might actually shy towards Aminu or Plumley. Although I think a lot of these numbers are kind of empty though when you look at the Blazers. You know, this is a weird rotation. It's a weird team in flux. They're so heavily relying on that backcourt. I guess I would want to look at it and maybe ask you like, which of these three do you think has the better chance of being an impact starter on like a good a good playoff caliber team? I guess Mason Plumley. Um, he's done a lot of things defensively, like you mentioned, that would work well in terms of, you know, you don't need your center to put up 20 points anymore. You can get it done with good shooting guards or a good small forward. So I think that he could have an impact, pick and roll. He can rise. Um, Shaq's new nickname for him is Doughboy because he can rise. And so we're seeing some of that take place already, but, you know, not for a couple more years. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you don't. You know, looking at numbers doesn't necessarily define how good a center is anymore, and that I think we're we're finally shifting away from that uh, paradigm that you need a franchise center to win a title. I mean, you look at look at some of the great or some of the better teams, I guess, over the last few years. I mean, who was the center for Golden State last season? Andrew Bogut, a guy who's not really a factor offensively at all. Those Heat teams, you know, they had Bosch at center quite a bit, but they also played a ton of Udonis Haslam, Chris Anderson, guys like that. I think it's more about rebounding and defense from your center than it is about interior scoring at this point. And I think that's where where uh, Joel Okafor, a guy we just talked about, concerns a lot of people. You know, he's kind of he's more of that old school center who's not as good of a defender, but is going to give you production on the offensive end. And we just haven't seen as many teams win with that formula quite as much lately. Speaking of centers, Josh Gray asks us. He also asks us about. Robert Covington, keep him. That's my answer there, Josh. But you also ask about Tyson Chandler. What's going on with him? He hasn't scored. He's only scored double digits in three games this season, 11, 14, and 15. He's sharing time um, with Alex Len and even John Lure. We've seen play a lot, quite a bit, at that center position for Phoenix. What's your breakdown on Tyson Chandler, 33-year-old um, defensive center for sure, Um but does he fit in that mold where it doesn't matter that he's putting up stats, but he's still an asset on their team? 
Yeah, for sure. He's kind of the epitome of that, especially at this age. You know, five and a half points a game, ten rebounds. That's fine. You know, I think he's most of his value, and him even more than a guy like Whiteside or Gobert. I think a lot of his value is stuff that you're just not going to see in the box score. You know, it's just, it's going to be you know, help on a drive and, and causing a deflection, things like that. It's, you know, certain plays that a lot of centers just don't make, um, stuff that, that won't show up in the box score. He's not, he's not racking up big blocks numbers or anything like that. And the other thing, he's only playing 25 and a half minutes per game. And that's why I thought the whole, this whole acquisition was odd because they have Alex Len. Um, he's, you know, Alex Len isn't the player that Tyson Chandler is right now, but the Suns are, also aren't a team that's ready to win a title right now. So it was an odd move to bring him in. It seemed like it was kind of a – it was motivated by the the potential to get Aldridge, but you you know you also have this young seven foot center who is in a similar mold at least, and probably a little bit more versatile offensively. He's a lot younger in Alex Lenz, so I guess I'm 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 kind of surprised that they're splitting minutes as much as they are. Honestly, I thought bringing Tyson Chandler in meant maybe that Alex Lund was going to be on kind of on a holding pattern for a little bit, but that hasn't really been the case. They haven't been shy about playing both of them. John Lure has been seeing a lot more minutes than I thought he would of being a. Both of us, Nick, being a Wisconsin alum, we love John Lure, but the fact that he's like taking away minutes from Tyson Chandler and Alex when Alex Len seems quite puzzling there. He's now, been good though. Yeah, he has been solid, but the fact that he even got that opportunity or that chance is surprising to me. Yeah, that's true. I have a qu- quick question before we move on: Whoever who's going to become the better NBA player when it's all said and done? <clears throat> Excuse me. Obviously, Lure already has uh, a few years under his belt, but Lure or Sam Decker, who's going to be remembered as a better NBA player? Are they going to be remembered at all? Uh, that that could be the answer to the question. I think you have to go with Decker just because if you said, um, if you asked that question about John Luer, most people wouldn't even really know what he's done so far. He's been off the bench. He, his role in the NBA, which is totally fine, he saw his dream realized is six minutes off the bench, you know, right when the fourth quarter starts. And then, you know, when the game gets going, you know, then he's off the court and he didn't really matter. He's just in there not to make mistakes. So I'll say Stam Decker, even though he has that back issue, there's just way more room for him right now. We already know with Lure. Lure has just had like very solid but quiet NBA career. So yeah, I'll say Sam he, Decker. Everywhere he ends up, you hear good things about him. That's what's encouraging That's me why about he's Lure. Still like every team loves league. him, but it's always yeah. like, ah, you know, we got these other guys. You know, he was in Memphis for a couple years years and they had Zebo and, and Gasol obviously soaking up so many minutes there and, and Ed Davis was there and he's always kind of been the odd man out and I hope I hope Phoenix is the place that he's just kind of able to finally blossom but maybe it won't be in it and he'll find a spot with somewhere else he's somebody I would like to see just like play 30 minutes a game for the Sixers for like 30 games and just see what happens I mean he's not he's certainly not going to become a star or anything like that but I think he's probably one of the more underrated guys who only sees 15 minutes a game in the league. That's right. He's never averaged more than, well, this year is the most minutes he's ever averaged, 15.6. Otherwise, he's had stops in Milwaukee, Cleveland, Memphis, and he, where he was seeing about 13 minutes a game. But everybody loves to stretch five. He's 6'11". He can shoot the three ball. So that's why he's still in the league. That's why I think he'll still be in the league for the next four seasons. But he's just not going to see the minutes that we would love to see him as as fellow Badgers Nick, that's going to do it for us, um, but I do want to get your thoughts since we will not have podcasts this weekend. Tomorrow, me and Josh Hayes will give you the last Rotowire podcast of the week because, of course, it is Thanksgiving. If you'd like to jump on Rotowire, feel free to get 10 days trial access, rotowire.com forward slash pod. Nick, you're not going to have your normal Thursday pod with James. But I would just what should we be? Yeah, what should we be on the lookout? Um, basically, you know, you won't be on air. Well, you will be on air on other facets. Catch him on NBA TV and lots of other good places. But what should we be looking for over the next course of the week? What will you be paying attention over the next week in the NBA? 
Who in the NBA? Well, first, number one is my grandmother's cheesy potatoes. I will be paying mm-hmm. full attention to those on Thursday. I'm kind of glad that there's no NBA on, on Thanksgiving. That's you know, Christmas is the NBA's, and that's fine, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm gonna have the full day free to to just worry about food and just worry about uh, watching football. Somehow the Jags didn't get the the Thanksgiving Day game this year. Weird. Shocking development. It's so um, odd. And they have those like kind of turkey colored uniforms they do. too, right? And that would be ideal, gravy colored, I guess, more than anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, one thing I, I always don't like about the holidays is you know I'm, I'm traveling out of state, you're traveling across the state, and it's so easy to fall behind. You know, all of a sudden you, you're hanging out with family and you're meeting up with friends you haven't seen in a while, and all of a sudden you you know you realize you haven't checked the scores in two days, and like I come back on Sunday and there's NFL games going on, and it's just overwhelming. And you know, this sounds ridiculous to even complain about. Uh, considering <laughs> considering we have some pretty great gigs right now, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean there there's plenty of games to be watched. Uh, obviously, like I said, no games Thursday, but Friday and Saturday, Cavs at Hornets. I think is going to be interesting. That's a that's a game on Friday night, just to kind of see where the Hornets are at. <clears throat> Excuse me, I mean, big win for them. We just talked about last night. Cavaliers rolling right now. This is kind of a test game for these Hornets to see how they can handle the Cavs defensively. Um, just kind of scrolling through, looking at others. Pelicans, Clippers on Friday night. That's the late game. Miami. Pelicans need to basically start winning and winning big games. Now. They're done. They don't, they don't have. I think they're, they're done. done. I'm, I think they're totally done as well. But if if they want to have any chance at making the playoffs, they can't keep slipping up uh, at all. You, you look at Saturday's slate. Yeah, nothing huge. Hawks, Spurs is interesting. Just you know, the Budenholzer and and Popovich matchups are always fun. But then we get Bucks, Hornets. Then on Sunday, a day game for the Buckaroos. Yeah, you might so be the only person. Forward to watching that. Yeah. You just dropped that you're excited to watch the Hornets twice this weekend, I and so I, I can tell the that Hornets you're... aren't the Hornets of old. They they don't they don't sit there and and just take a bunch of long twos. They're shooting a bunch of threes this year. They got rid of Gerald Henderson. Shockingly, that's resulted in a better <laughs> three point rate. Uh, PJ Hairston is is in my top five players that I have no reason that to love, but I love. Uh, so yeah, any any chance to see those guys is going to be a lot of fun, but. This is a weekend that's dedicated to, to football and food more than anything to me. What about you? Uh, you know what? I, I'm excited to just – I always feel like I'm trying to, like, preach the game of NBA to my family, like convince them that this is something that's fun to watch. We're still at the point maybe, you know, where people are soured on the NBA in general because it's a bunch of millionaires who whine and don't really play that hard throughout the course of the season. And you know what? They're probably right, especially if they're watching the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, no, I love it. I'll be watching games. It's I'm totally fine that there's not games on Thanksgiving, but I'm excited for the week ahead. One game I'm really excited for, Miami Heat versus New York Knicks. Um, let's try to see who's better there. I'm excited to see, now that we have a lot of games under our belt, let's terse out what these playoff standings should look like, and then we can see if any teams make you know second-half runs or uh, get better throughout the course of the year. Bulls-Pacers should be good. A lot of good Eastern Conference matches I'm looking, up, uh, looking forward to for sure. I have a cousin who actually just got a job at a NASCAR track too, so I'm looking forward to chopping it up, you know, reminiscing Ooh. about Jeff Gordon's career. A little bit, probably going to be uh, no shortage of tears in that conversation. But <laughs> yeah, and, and us being in Wisconsin, I think you know, stop listening now if you're not into football. But Rogers, Star, and Favre all being on hand at the game on Thursday is going to be is going to be incredible. And I'm not even I'm not really even a Packers fan, and that's going to be fun. We're all going to be little schoolgirls. Be like that'd be like getting Leftwich, Gerard, and Bortles all together. And we should end the podcast right there. Thanks so much for joining us. If you don't listen to me and Josh tomorrow, then shame on you. But have a great Thanksgiving, everyone. This has been the Rotowire Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com. They're going to kill the love of my life Daisy! if I don't go back to what I was doing. 
this Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. May be inappropriate for children under 13. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.